So throughout this month, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer each week, taking it phrase by phrase, looking at it deeply, asking what we might learn new about the prayer and how we might apply it to our daily lives, especially in this most challenging time. And so this Sunday, we are wrapping up this sermon series called Lord Teaches to Pray by focusing on one of the last petitions in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Temptation. We all know about that, right? Something we deal with all the time. It's part of our daily life. Temptation is very real to us. You go to a store and you're looking for a particular item and you go to the clerk because you can't find it and uh, she's talking to her friend on her phone. And you stand there and you stand there and she ignores you while she talks to her friend and you tap your foot and you clear your throat and you look at your watch and still she ignores you. And finally you wave your hand and get her attention. Yes. And you tell her what you need. Eye roll over there. And as you walk away to pick up the item, you think to yourself, I am very tempted to give that woman a piece of my mind. Or you have an exam a really hard exam, physics, macroeconomics, court finance, and you've been studying the formulas on a little sheet of paper. As you go into the exam, that little sheet of paper is folded up in your pocket. They pass out the test. You take one look and you know it is going to be really, really hard to pass. You don't want to fail. The little piece of paper is now burning a hole in your pocket just one glance. It's so tempting, just one glance. You've just eaten an enormous meal at a restaurant, more than any person should ever eat in one sitting, and you're thinking to yourself that you just need to have someone wheel you out to your car in a wheelbarrow so you can get home. And then the guy comes by with a dessert cart, and he says, can I tempt you with this lemon meringue pie? And you think, oh, I really shouldn't. But maybe just this once, if I can talk my friend into sharing it with me, it'll be okay. It'll be okay if he brings two forks, right? Temptation. We know all about it. If there is any theological word we don't need to find, if there's any theological word that connects squarely with our human life, it's temptation. We know about it. We recognize it. We can see it coming a mile off. Why do we need to sit through a sermon on temptation? Well, friends, I want to ask you to bear with me this morning. Please don't flip to another website or another channel just yet. Because I want to suggest today that one of the reasons that temptation is so serious for us is precisely because we think we know all about it. Because we think we understand it. We can recognize it easily. We have a good grip on it. But friends, truly, this is false. It's just not true. And if there is any text that can help us on this point, can help us understand better the nature of temptation, it's the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. You remember the story, right? It takes place before Jesus even begins his public ministry. He goes to the River Jordan and he's baptized there by his cousin, John the Baptist. And then the text tells us that the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness 
where he spends 40 days and 40 nights praying and fasting and being tempted by the devil. Now, friends, our, uh, our wonderful theologian and preacher, Fred Craddock, one of my favorites, says we got to be really careful with this text, very careful. Because if we're not, it's just really easy to think about it like a cartoon, you know, sort of in terms of a comic strip. You've got the frame, and here's Jesus over here in the corner. And then over here, you have a red figure with a tail and a pitchfork. Maybe they've got the little word bubbles coming out of their mouths, right? And we think to ourselves, well, that's what temptation looks like. But it's not. Friends, temptation does not look like a cartoon. If it did, even the weakest among us could spot it coming a mile off and batten down the hatches if it came in the door looking like a Halloween devil, but it doesn't. Temptation is much more crafty than that, much more complex than that. One of its most common and effective disguises, in fact, is as the voice inside our own head. So maybe if we were going to draw out this text as a comic strip, we'd just put Jesus in the frame. He wouldn't be alone, but he would be the only one that we could see. Do you see, friends, that one of our biggest issues with temptation is that we think it's going to come striding into the room in a black hat like a villain from an old movie western, but it just doesn't work that way. Look at how Jesus is approached in the text. The tempter comes to him and says, Jesus, good to see you. You look famished. In fact, you look terrible. Have you been eating anything? You haven't, have you? You're really, really hungry. Well, my goodness, you're the son of God. There's something wrong with us. You shouldn't be hungry like that. After all, you have a very important ministry ahead of you. It's going to take strength. You need your nourishment. Why don't you just turn those stones over there into bread and have a nice meal? It'll just strengthen you for your work. That makes sense, doesn't it, Jesus? There's nothing wrong with that. And oh, I know you didn't ask me for any advice, but let me just offer this one tidbit because I care about you so much. On these miracles you're going to perform, you know, you really do not want to get up in front of a crowd and do that for the first time. What if something went wrong? Probably best to practice. I'll be your audience. Why don't you just jump off the top of the temple? Scripture says you won't be hurt. God won't let that happen to you. No harm done. Then you're ready. When it comes time to offer those miracles, that will mean more people will believe. And that's what we want, right? More people to believe? There's nothing wrong with that. Is there, Jesus? And then there's the issue of power. Now, I know you've got some concerns about that, but let me tell you, power is very important. You need a lot of power to be effective in this ministry that you're about to embark on. You want people to believe in you. You want them to bow down to you, do you not? You need them to submit their lives to you. So have I got a deal for you? 
you worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. That will enable you to cause millions and millions and millions and millions of human beings to bend to your will, to do what you want them to do. And there's nothing wrong with that, is there, Jesus? Isn't that a good thing? Doesn't all of this make sense? Friends, do you see how Jesus is approached? In terms of what is reasonable and good and helpful, that is temptation's favorite package. Bishop Will Williman tells a very enlightening story about teaching this text, the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, to a Sunday school class one time. And he gave a thorough lecture on the text, and then they, they discussed each one of the temptations, all three, and Jesus' response to those. And then Willem turned to the class and said, now, what does temptation look like for you today? And a young man spoke up first. He said, temptation is when your boss comes in to your office like mine did this week and says, congratulations, you're getting a raise and a promotion. We're giving you a bigger sales territory. You're going places in this company, young man. We're excited for you. And the young man said, he replied to his boss, well, uh, thanks, but I don't want a bigger sales territory. I'm already gone from home four nights a week. I don't get to be with my wife and my baby daughter the way I want to be the way I know I should be. It wouldn't be fair to them. Oh, says the boss. Take a minute and think about this. This is a big promotion, and think about the money. It takes a lot of money to raise a family these days. You want to be a good provider, don't you? Sure, your baby daughter doesn't need that much money right now, but in the future she will. She really will have needs and you want to be able to meet them? Now, oh, when we were talking about giving you this raise up in the boardroom, well, we were actually thinking about your family and how this might benefit them. And that, said the young man, is temptation. Do you see, friends, that temptation is really not about cheating on the test or telling a lie or eating the lemon meringue pie? It's about something so much more profound than that, so much deeper than that. And this story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness can help us get at that greater, deeper thing. Temptation's fundamental question, you see, is not, hey, would you like to do something wrong? Temptation's fundamental question is, hey, would you like to compromise who you are? Jesus' temptation was not about turning stones into bread or jumping off the top of a building. It was about compromising who he was, what he was about, who God called him to be. He's not even begun his public ministry. He hasn't performed one miracle, preached one sermon, called one disciple. He's just been baptized, and the tempter is right there saying, hey. Would you like to compromise who you are? Draw pleasure from earthly things rather than God. 
accumulate power rather than give love? Serve me rather than God? Do you see, friends? Temptation goes to that question, who are you? And what is your life about? It goes to the core of our identity. God has given us wonderful and terrible freedom, friends. And I use those words deliberately. Wonderful and terrible. Real choice. Wonderful freedom because we are free to choose the good and terrible because it, it, it also means we have the ability to choose what is wrong, what is harmful, what is selfish, and ultimately even what is evil. God risked when God created human beings and gave us free will, and we are able to choose to be who God created us to be or not. Jesus understood this because he lived it. He experienced real temptation. So when he taught his disciples to pray, he included this phrase, lead us not into temptation. Friends, Jesus isn't talking about resisting the temptation to eat lemon meringue pie or even cheat on the test. Jesus is talking about resisting the temptation to compromise who we are. And let me be clear on this. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are not asking God to refrain from leading us into sin because God doesn't lead us into sin, friends. God is on our side. In fact, James 1, 13 and 14 says, God tempts no one. Our temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and lead us astray. Drag us off, is the way one translation puts it. Psalm 23 tells us that God leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So friends, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, I encourage you to look at this phrase in two parts. Lead us and not into temptation. Lead us. I hope you pray that every day. We should all be praying every day, lead me, Lord. Lead me in your paths of righteousness. Lead me in the way that you would have me go. That's what lead us means. Lead us as a people in the way that you would have us go, God. Not into temptation not on the path that I would follow myself, not the path I would choose without you, Lord. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we are saying, lead us, Lord, in the way that you would have us go and not in the way that we would choose for ourselves. And because Jesus teaches us to pray this way, we can trust that God will, will lead us, that God will help us resist temptation that God will help us put our feet on the right path, the path of righteousness, and not the path that would lead us to compromise ourselves and be less than who God created us to be. My friends, this is the last week of the sermon series, but my request of you goes on. From the very first week, I've asked if you would please join me in praying the Lord's Prayer every day 
every day between now and the end of the year. And I hope you're doing that. But especially this week, I, I want to urge you to pray the prayer with special attention to this phrase, lead us not into temptation. Take time this week with God, will you? Sit down and ask yourself, who am I? And what is my life about? Ask the same question of God and see if they line up, those two answers. If they don't, if you are off on the wrong path, if you've messed everything up, it's not too late. It never is. We worship a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. God will be faithful. So ask the hard question. Pray the prayer. And I promise you, you will be given clarity about who God created you to be and the path that you should be on. And as you pray the prayer and you seek to live into it, our God will give you the strength that you need to follow paths of righteousness for his name's sake and be the human being that the world needs you to be, a person of grace and love and peace. Will you pray with me right now? Loving God, we give you thanks for the Lord's Prayer. It is such a gift to be able to pray that every day and to be reminded of who we are and whose we are and what we are to be about. Lord, this week especially, we ask that you put on our hearts a, a clear sense of the path you call us to walk. Help us to pray this prayer with all sincerity that we would not seek out those paths that lead us to compromise ourselves, but instead choose the path that leads to righteousness. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our invitation to Christian discipleship is to pray that prayer. Will you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer every day for the rest of this year throughout 2020 and pay special attention this week to that phrase, lead us not into temptation knowing that God will give you the clarity and the strength you need to follow his path and not the one you might choose for yourself. Thanks so much for joining us in worship today. I'm Senior Pastor Holly Gotelli. Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is a Christian community of love, hope, and belonging for all. To connect with us, visit ahumc.org or find us on social media.